Let's go ahead and pray and dive into God's word this morning. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you that you got us up today. Thank you for our heart beating. Thank you for the breath that's in our lungs. We worship you and glorify you. We thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross and thank you for forgiveness of sins that we have in him so that we can have hope and joy and peace in you in a future, Lord. Help us to shine that light in this world to spread the good news and to be faithful to you. Would you unite us in the faith, Lord? Would you lift our hearts to heaven where you are seated at the right hand of the throne of God, Jesus? Help us to fix our eyes on you. Lord, I pray for my cousin Stephanie. She's been on my heart lately. She reached out to me. Hadn't talked to her in 20 plus years and going through a lot of struggles, Lord, with her family and wanting to raise her children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord and Would you strengthen her, Lord? Would you just continue to guide her and direct her steps and help her to be faithful to you? I'm thankful for her. Bless her family, Lord, and bless all of our families, Lord, and our loved ones and those that don't know you. May they come to know you so that you would be glorified. Be with us this morning as we dive into your word, Lord. Encourage us, strengthen us, and reprove and rebuke and exhort us where we need it, Lord. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm told don't speak with gum, so pardon me for a second. Title of today's teaching is Faithful to the Word, and then I have a subtitle with that, My Heart's Desire in Preaching. And that if that title's not long enough, I actually had another title that I was going to, I was going back and forth, and you're like, that's weird, well, what's the big deal about a title? And I don't know exactly, but when I do some sort of a topical message, because the Lord's put on my heart, I think, a book that I want to walk through with you guys. Lord willing, we'll start that next week. But there was something that's been burning on my heart for the last couple weeks, maybe last couple months. And then the Lord put other stuff on my heart. So this kind of got shoved to the side. But then now it's at the forefront. And if there was a second title, it's Jeremiah, the Word, and the Pastor's Dilemma. So when I send this over, <laughs> that one's long too. So I send the titles over to Robbie later today and with a little synopsis of the message. So I wanted to give myself some time to pick which one I want from now until then. So we'll see. But, you know, I've been reading through the Bible every year. I think that's a good thing for us to do as believers, to read through the Bible cover to cover, um, because we can pick our favorite books. You might say like, oh, I really like Romans or Philippians or Jeremiah or... And we can kind of just stay there and then forget there's Genesis over here and Jude over here and Revelation. And so I think it's a good practice, right, to do that. So I did that for several years, but I started to notice I was kind of speed reading to check off the boxes so I could get it all done. And I was skipping over a lot of things because if you're like me, you have to read something a couple times sometimes to really understand what it's saying. My reading comprehension wasn't my strong suit in school. I was pretty good at math. But reading, I would always be the last one to turn in a test because I'd have to read everything over like 10 times to finally, and then when I, once I got it, I got it, but it takes me a while. All that to say, I diverted from the year plan to study Jeremiah over the last, I don't know, month, month and a half, just slowly walk through it. And Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible, over 33,000 words in the Hebrew. Second is Genesis. After that is the Psalms. And then after that is Ezekiel. So it's actually the longest book. Uh, word count in the Hebrew and so it takes a while to get through but I was just feeling the heart 
of Jeremiah as I was reading chapter after chapter and the struggle that Jeremiah was going through in his day. And his struggle was he wanted so much to be faithful to the Lord, faithful to the word, to preach the truth, to prophesy what God told him to prophesy. But with that, when he did prophesy, what happened? People turned against him. There was opposition. There was persecution. There was constant opposition against him. And he goes, Lord, you commissioned me for this, and this is what's happening. And so even in Jeremiah 43.2, just to summarize that verse, they say, you're a liar, and God has not sent you. And so I want you to see his heart in Jeremiah 20, verses 7 through 9. I want you to hear the struggle that Jeremiah went through. You see, Judah was digging her feet into the ground and saying, we will not obey the Lord and we will not listen to you, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 20, verse 7 through 9. He says, O Lord, you have deceived me and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me. For each time I speak, I cry aloud. I proclaim violence and destruction because for me the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. But if I say I will not remember him or speak any more in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I am weary of holding it in. I cannot endure it. Lord, I signed up for this and this isn't what I expected. I was expecting ministry success. I was expecting converts. I was expecting to pull down nations and pluck up and pull down. And, and you said in chapter one, and he wouldn't say you said in chapter one because it wasn't in the originals, but chapter one, verse 10, God says to Jeremiah, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow to build and to plant. He says earlier, I'm with you. I will deliver you. He, he's saying, I'm not pulling down nations right now. I, I don't feel like you're delivering me. I, I don't even know where you're at. I, I'm tempted to forget you. I'm tempted to not even speak in your name anymore. And so what happens when that's his temptation? When he's tempted to go there, then what happens? He says, it's like fire in my bones. I thought to myself, I'll hold it in. Okay, I won't say anything. Then I won't be opposed. Then the persecution won't come. I, I can live in my comforts. Okay, God, I'll do that. And he says it's like raging inside of him. He has to unleash it. He has to preach the word of God. He has to prophesy. And that's his struggle that's going on throughout this book. That temptation is a temptation, I believe, for every preacher of the word of God. And it's even a temptation for every believer. You might not be a preacher. You might not be standing in front of people proclaiming the word of God, but you might be tempted in your home with your friends at work in the world to shy away from preaching the word of God, if that's the right word, of proclaiming the word of God, of telling people the whole counsel of God's word. Because what will people think of you? What will your employer do to you? What will happen if you are faithful to God 
and his word. And so many in our day, they just alter the message, change the message, just talk about one aspect of God and his attributes and who he is and just focus on that only. That's, that's easier to do, right? I'm sure there was people in Jeremiah's day saying something like this. Come on, Jeremiah. Lighten up a little bit. Loosen up. Live a little bit. You're always so serious, so somber, so negative. All these judgmental prophecies. I mean, isn't God for us? Aren't we the Jews, the chosen people? You're just an angry, pharisaical, judgmental person. Come on, Jeremiah. What about love? What about grace? What about peace? Can't we all get along? Come on, Jeremiah. You're like a thorn in our side. Now, I'm sure they didn't say those exact words, but perhaps if you stand for the Lord faithfully today, you've heard those words or something similar in your life. What did they do to Jeremiah? They beat him. They tried to kill him. They threw him in this dark dungeon, this pit. The text says that he actually began to sink in the mud. They gave him no food, no water, and if it wasn't for this man by the name of Ebed-Melech, an Ethiopian eunuch, he said, we need to do something about this. And he ran over to the king and he pleaded, please let me get Jeremiah out of there or he's going to die. Was Jeremiah an angry, judgmental man with some vendetta against the Jewish people? Was he just, did he just wake up on the wrong side of the bed a lot? Did he just have low blood sugar or hormonal issues or like a period or whatever? You want to just, yeah, I don't know why I said that. <laughs> it, stuff just comes to my mind when I preach, and that's part of this message that I'll probably get to later on is just trying to stay focused. But we hear that a lot today. You know, I, I, I worked at a rescue mission, and I, I really think that's how people viewed me. You're judgmental. You're, you're kind of like a Pharisee. Like you're, you're calling out sin a lot. And you're, why can't you just preach the love? Why can't you love these guys? Why can't you be kind to them? And, I'm, and I, they never told me that, but I just had that feeling. And so I wanted to go overboard with love and kindness and gentleness. And I would, buy the guys, I would have the guys try to memorize scripture and I'd write them a letter and give them this cool gold coin and just little things to where I could show the guys in this rescue mission program who perhaps were never shown much love in their whole lives. It's probably true. A lot of them didn't have fathers in the home. A lot of them were abused as children. And so I wanted them to know without a shadow of a doubt this chaplain here, he loves, he loves me. He cares about me. He prays for me. But with that, I was not going to water down the message. I was not going to alter it. I was not going to change it. And like Jeremiah, if I was to even think about doing that, it was like fire in my bones to where I'm like, I must preach the truth. And then my boss basically said, well, that, that comes later down the line. You know, th the truth that you're preaching, that's too meaty for them. You know, they'll get that later on. Just keep it nice and simple and light. Just show them love. And it's a seeker-sensitive approach. Just kind of hold people's hand and just show them some love and tell them Jesus loves them. Pat them on the back. Give them some pizza, barbecue, smoke and lights and 
the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit do the convicting, not you. That's not what God told Jeremiah. Just let the Holy Spirit convict all these people. Okay, if he wants them to turn, he'll turn. No, you, Jeremiah, you speak. You obey me. And that's what God's telling the church today. That's what God is telling every preacher. Preach the truth in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And we'll get to that text later. But God is calling us to be faithful to his word. All of it. So that's my heart. That was the heart of Jeremiah. That was the heart of Christ. So, was Jeremiah an angry, judgmental person? No, he was a man who wrestled with his calling. In Jeremiah chapter 1, he said, Lord, I'm a youth. He was hesitant. He didn't want to go into the ministry. No, Lord, use someone else. I can't speak. I'm too young. And the Lord says, don't be afraid. I'll go with you, and you're going to do amazing things for me. might not look exactly how you think it's going to look, but you need to be faithful, Jeremiah. So, Listen to what Jeremiah says in Lamentations 2.11. He says, My eyes fail because of tears. My spirit is greatly troubled. My heart is poured out on the earth because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. When little ones and infants faint in the streets of the city. You know, who does that sound like? Who, who proclaimed judgment over Jerusalem and who wept over Jerusalem. Jesus, right? Matthew 23, Luke 19, 41 through 44. You know the text, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stones the prophets, kills those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen does her chicks under her wings. You were unwilling. Your house will be left to you desolate. You will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I wanted to gather you together. You wouldn't have it. And so now I'm weeping over you because I know destruction is coming. And that was Jeremiah preaching, preaching, turn, turn to the Lord. They wouldn't turn. And so he would weep over them day and night and wrote the book of Lamentations, lamenting over the people. And that's our hearts today. We're telling people judgment is coming. That's the reality. Wrath is coming. We're Turn to the Lord and live. While, the, why, while there is still time, turn to Jesus and live. And we weep when they don't. Like Jeremiah, like Jesus, like the apostles, we preach passionately and we have tender tears because of people not turning to the Lord. How many converts did Jeremiah have in 40 years of ministry? Because that's the book of Jeremiah from chapter 1 all the way till the end, some 50-something chapters, maybe two. He had Baruch, his scribe, and Ebed-Melech, this Ethiopian eunuch, maybe two. Maybe there was more. We just don't know. They're not recorded. Not very many converts. No accolades. No praise of men. No fame. Just quite the opposite. Ridicule, persecution, and they try to kill him. So what would someone today say over that ministry? What would a seeker-sensitive model, what would the modern-day Joel Osteen or whatever type model say about that? They would say, that's not a success. You didn't do things right. You should have gone about it a different way, Jeremiah. See, we have it figured out. We know how to grow. We know how to win people, quote-unquote win people. But see, Jeremiah... You couldn't win people over because you just didn't know how to do ministry. 
What does God say over Jeremiah's ministry? He says success. I think we need to rethink ministry success. You can have 10 people in a church and be successful. You could have 10 people in a church and be unsuccessful. You could have 50,000 and be unsuccessful. You could have 50,000 and be successful. It's not based off the numbers. It's based off if you're faithful to the word, faithful to God, and if you're obedient to him. That's a mark of true success over your life and over my life. I recently listened to an interview of a pastor who was asked to give um, the, the prayer, the, the prayer at the House of Representatives. And I think they do this every time they meet. And in Congress, they'll have someone pray before them, which is pretty cool. Now, this pastor that was asked to give the prayer, this was a couple weeks ago, he said they sent him, you know, the regulations, because there's regulations about what you can say and what you can't say. And I, I think they say you can't use Jesus. Or if you do, just make it one time. Anything other than that, you know, or you're going to get a slap on the wrist for that. And you can say this and not that. And so the pastor was flying over to Washington, D.C. to give this prayer. And he, he mentioned during this interview that he was struggling with what he wrote down in this prayer. He said, I kind of put it together quickly, trying to go by the regulations. And he said, you know what? I ripped it up and I wrote a whole new prayer because I wanted to be faithful to the Lord. I wanted to obey him and say what he wanted me to say, not what some person was trying to tell me to say or muzzle me. So I want to share his prayer with you. This was his prayer. Almighty God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Together, we come before you in humility as a people in need of your forgiveness, your mercy, your goodness, and your grace. For these 250 or so years, our fathers in this Congress have prayed for your guidance and protection. And so we stand here in public petition that you today might do the same, that this nation and unparalleled constitution, your great gift to all freedom-loving people, might be renewed here and across this land as a beacon of hope to all who seek peace. I ask you today, Father, to bring to us a great awakening of righteousness and confidence in you, who alone is mighty to save. Hear my cry in this hour of great need, that we might be humbly blessed before you in the repentance of national sins. You, Almighty God, are the source of all wisdom, and there is no wisdom but that which comes from you. So please come upon those here who are the stewards over the business of our nation with your wisdom which comes from above, with your holy fear, knowing that, you're, that your coming day of judgment draws near when all who have been and are now in authority will answer to you, the great judge of heaven and earth, for the decisions that they make here in this place. I offer this prayer to you, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and our crucified Savior and resurrected Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen to that. How do you think that prayer went over? How do you think those in the House of Representatives, were they humbly praying and petitioning to the Lord with this pastor? Were they in agreement? Came out after 26 House members signed a letter in opposition of this man being able to say the prayer there. One of them, Rep Representative Jared Huffman, and you wouldn't be able to guess which 
state he's from. Listen to what he said. He said, quote, after we picked our jaws up off the floor upon learning that this hate preacher had been allowed to give a guest invocation, I think many of us decided we needed to start calling this out. See, that's hate. That man, by the way, is claims to be an atheist. He's the only pro- self-proclaimed atheist we know of in the House of Representatives. He said when Roe versus Wade was overturned that this is a, a travesty and for millions of women across the country are going to suffer deeply because of that. Radically pro-abortion, radically against God, radically loves his sin, yet he's going to call this hate, hate preaching. That's the world we live in. Stand for the scripture, stand for the Lord, stand for the truth. You will be called a hater. You will be called a bigot. With that, though, we need to have a tear in our eyes like Jeremiah, like Jesus. So I think we, we need two hands out. Tender-hearted tears for those who are lost, compassion upon them, mercy upon them, pleading with them to turn to Jesus and know the truth, knowing where we would be without the grace of God ourselves. And with that, we're holding tightly to the truth, all the word of God, and we're not going to cower away from any of it. That's the balance we need. So I don't agree with all the doctrines and teachings of that pastor. You're probably wondering who it is, and I don't know if I'm going to tell you or not. You'll have to ask me or look it up later. He's a Calvary Chapel pastor, so from California, from Chino Hills. (laughs) I asked Leah this morning or yesterday morning, I said, do you think Jack Hibbs is a Christian? And I said, and she said, yeah, of course. And so we can have, this is my heart, we can have strong disagreements with people, right? Even Calvinist brethren, Ar- Arminian, Calvinist, pre-trib, post-trib, uh, pre-mill, post-mill, um, this denomination, that denomination, Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist. You know what the scripture says? David said, I'm a companion of all those who fear you. If someone fears the Lord, if they love him, then they're on my team. We can have strong disagreements with them. We can have strong differences. We can debate them. We can talk about them. We could plead with them. Hey, look, this is what the scripture says on this. But when they're standing for righteousness and they're standing for truth and they're calling this nation to repentance and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I say amen to that all day long. So amen to his prayer. That's my stance at least. So I believe we need more of that. I think we need more truth in the public square. We need more truth in our lives, truth in our homes, truth with our friends. And that's my temptation even at my job. They ask me to pray um, every other week. I lead prayer every day for my company. How many companies ask you know, a chaplain or ask someone to pray over the company every morning? So that's pretty cool. I get to pray with people throughout you know, the Treasure Valley, I'm driving around ministering to people, ministering to people and assisted livings and, and skilled nursing centers. And even I had a, a patient the other day, he goes, are you, are you one of those like radical Christians? Or I, I, I was like, I'm just a Christian, you know, I, I just love God's word and I want to share it with people. You want to put labels like, are you a radical or are you like a fundamentalist or are you like a crazy fanatic? Uh, I'm just a Christian 
trying to fulfill what Jesus said is the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. That's a lot of alls there, right? That's everything. That's every part of your being. So if someone says, are you a radical Christian? Say, I'm just trying to love the Lord with everything and tell other people about him. If I can be transparent for a moment, and when I preach, I just, I try to be open, right? And I try to find the balance of how open to be, how much to share about my family life or about things I've talked about with Leah or, you know, I just want to be an open book, right? And sometimes maybe I could say too much. And sometimes after I preach, I go home and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have said it that way. Beats me up all week. I want to like preach again on Monday. And like, it's like at the end of a movie, like retake, retake. Like, okay, I would have said this a little different. Okay, I wouldn't have thrown that comment and it just came to my mind. Or, and so I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to say? Lord, do you just want to write the sermon and I'll go up and just, and just read it. Read it off and preach it. But part of the struggle of being a preacher is you have to write your own sermon. You have 66 books, but now you have to bring that and apply it to people's lives. And you have to teach the, the word, which is not originally written in our language. It was written in Greek and Hebrew and some Aramaic. And so you're, you're, you're studying and you're going into the word and you're, you're trying to apply it into people's lives and get down to the meaning of the text. And what I'm trying to say is it's not always easy to stand up here and preach and feel good about it after. So I go home and I pray, Lord, if there's anything I said that wasn't of you, just may that go in one ear and write out the other, okay? And if I did say something that's of you, may it stick. May it penetrate their heart. May it bring transformation. May it bring encouragement. May it bring edification. May it, may it cause them to love you more, to love their neighbor more, to want to be salt and light in this world and to be on fire for you. And so that is the goal. Paul said the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So if, if we can get there, then we're reaching our goal. If, if you leave and you have a, a clear conscience because you realize that you're forgiven of your sin and you want to walk in holiness, if, if you're growing in your faith, if you're growing in pure love for the Lord and others, then, then we're getting somewhere, and that's my goal as well. But just to be transparent, you know, Perhaps you're like me, perhaps you're not like me, but I don't want anyone to be mad at me ever. Are you like that? You just don't want people to be mad at you. You you don't want to be at odds with anyone. You don't want to ever be in any conflict. You you just want to be liked. You want to please people. You want to be good. That's that's me. I just want to be good. If I ever find out like this person's mad at you or you, you know this person's at conflict or you said that and it's like, "Oh my god, Lord." But you know what? This book offends people. So if we're doing what I'm saying and that's hold tightly to the word, you can't have your cake and eat it too. I'm going to be at conflict at times with people if I'm faithful to this word. I'm going to be at odds with people at times. It's going to happen. And I have to choose this word over that. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians 1.10, Am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of the Lord. If I was trying to please men, I wouldn't be a bondservant of the Lord. But you know what? With Paul on the other side of that coin, he says in 1 Corinthians 9 that he's become all things to all men so that he might save some. 
So he goes, I, I, I try to please others, not just myself. I try to please them to win them. So in one sense, he's not a people pleaser. He, he wants to please God. In another sense, he wants to reach people. He wants to show them the love of Christ. And so it's this tight tension. And that's how I feel when I preach, when I talk to people about the word, and even my last job, a couple jobs ago in California when I lost my job, I was at odds with everyone, all my bosses. And I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm not letting go of the word. So I guess that's going to cause friction between us. And so it is what it is. Um, but I don't want to unnecessarily offend. And I don't think you should want to do that either. You don't want to unnecessarily step on toes or offend or hurt people or, or, or anything like that. And so a lot of this, there's a tension in it. Like even that pastor in his prayer, did he throw in too many Jesuses on purpose just to, you know, like, boom, in Jesus' name and Jesus be glorified and Jesus rose from the grave and okay. That's between him and the Lord. I mean, I think it's great that he was proclaiming Jesus and did that. Some of it's a heart issue too, right? And we can't see people's hearts. We can only hear what people say. So with all that, we need to be Bereans as well. Whether you're listening to me or some guy on the radio or in Pastor Joe will say this, be a Berean. Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good, that which is true. You don't just listen to anyone and just say, oh, that's true because that person said it. No, you have to dig into the word and compare it to that. So it's so important. What's my heart? My heart is holding to the truth. Sanctify me in truth. Your word is truth. Know the truth. Understand the truth. Preach the truth. Proclaim the truth. Apply it in my life. That's my constant prayer. Lord, help me to understand your word, your truth, and then help me to live it out. Because it's one thing to know God's word. Satan knows God's word better than a lot of us. The demons believe, or the demons tremble before God, right? Even they tremble more than some believers. James chapter 2. They believe that there's a God. They know there's a God. They don't believe him with an experiential knowledge of truly knowing him, but they, they know there's God and they tremble. And what about us? Isaiah 66, 2. This is the one to whom I look with favor, him who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. Psalm 138, 2 talks about how God holds his word with his name. He magnifies them above all others. Pastor Joe mentioned and Chad mentioned those two verses in one of their recent good fight shows when they were talking about someone kicking a Bible on the stage uh, right around the time of the Super Bowl, dressing up like referees and football and, okay, set hike, boom, and kicking the Bible off the stage. And Pastor Joe's like, do you really tremble before the word? You realize that God holds his word and his name above all else? Up, he lifts them up high and you're going to kick the Bible? Like, wow. And then they mention, well, maybe that was the only time they've ever had the Bible on stage to begin with as a prop. And he said, you know, there was a tear in my eye when I saw that video of them kicking the Bible. That's many churches today. They, they don't tremble before God's word. It's just something to add on to the sermon. Tell a bunch of stories and then add a couple scriptures that that just tie things in so that you can keep people going to your fellowship. That's not what God intended for the church, and that's definitely not what God intended for preaching. So how important is God's word? God's word is everything. And I want to walk through a psalm, if you will, 
Jeremiah is the longest book in the Bible. This psalm is the longest chapter in the Bible. And I want you to see Psalm 119. I want you to see, this is going to take a couple minutes, so I want you to walk through these passages with me. Paul told Timothy, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. So public reading of Scripture is what we're going to do now. I'm not going to read through the whole psalm, but I, wanna, I picked out all the verses that in the NASB translation, the word, word, was used. Now in the ESV and the NIV, there's a couple of these verses where the word, word, is translated as promise. And so his word is a promise. It's, it's an assurance. And these are, listen to what the psalmist is going to say, the, the emphasis, the urgency, the gravity, the seriousness, the value of the word. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the verse and you can follow along with me. And there's a lot of them. So we're going to start verses 9 through 11, Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. And if you have a pen or a marker, go back and underline these verses and meditate on them. How can a young man or woman keep his or her way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I've sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Let's look at verses 16 and 17. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. Verse 28. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Verse 38. Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. Verses 41 through 44. May your loving kindnesses also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So I shall have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. I do not take the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I wait for your ordinances. So I will keep your law continually forever and ever. Verse 50. This is my comfort and my affliction, that your word has revived me. Verses 57 and 58. The Lord is my portion. I have promised to keep your words. I entreated your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. Verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Verse 74, may those who fear you see me and be glad because I wait for your word. Verse 76, oh, may your loving kindness comfort me according to your word to your servant. Verses 81 and 82, may my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be ashamed. My soul languishes for your salvation. I wait for your word. Verse 89. Are you still with me? Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. 
verses 101 through 107. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not turned aside from your ordinances for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have, sh- I have sworn and I will confirm it that I will keep your righteous ordinances. I am exceedingly afflicted. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Verse 114 through 117. You are my hiding place and my shield. I wait for your word. Depart from me, evildoers, that I may observe the commandments of God. Sustain me according to your word that I may live. And do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Uphold me that I may be safe, that I may have regard for your statutes continually. Verse 123. My eyes fail with longing for your salvation and for your righteous word. Verses 130 through 133. The unfolding of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me after the manner with those who love your name. Establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Verses 139 and 140. My zeal has consumed me because my adversaries have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. Verse 147 and 148. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Verse 154, plead my cause and redeem me, revive me according to your word. Verse 158, I behold the treacherous and loathe them because they do not keep your word. Verse 160 through 162, the sum of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. Verses 169 to the end. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Let my lips utter praise for you, Teach me your statutes. Let my tongue sing of your word. For all your commandments are righteous. Let your hand be ready to help me. For I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live that it may praise you. And let your ordinances help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. His word is everything. Bank your life on God's word. Read it. Meditate on it. Know it. Wake up in the middle of the night and sing it. Praise him. Pray it. Make it part of who you are. I mean, how many times I'm almost losing my my voice 
talking about and reading these passages on what the word means to the psalmist. Revive me according to your word. How does a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. I've treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Don't let me forget your word. Don't let me wander from your word. Don't let me be like those who have forgotten your word. Your word, your word, your word. We need his word. I'm constantly trying to grow in his word. Who is the word? Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. How close are you to God and Christ is how close you are to His Word. Jesus is the Word. We need to know it, hold fast to it. I met with a hospice patient friend of mine this week, and as I walked in the room to minister to her and start a chaplain visit, she was getting ready to read the Bible. I go, oh, that's cool. She has a large print Bible, and she goes, oh, it's good timing. I was getting ready to read the Bible, but let's chat, and we're chatting about, it's hard to know how much to share. I always say that because of HIPAA. It's frustrating. I want to share so much about people I minister throughout the week and all sorts of stories, but um, anyhow, she told me her dad would give her $5 when she was a kid to memorize chapters of the Bible. And I looked up $5 in 1950 when she was a kid, and that's worth $63 today. So imagine giving your little kid $63 and saying, memorize Romans 8. It's, it's a lot of money. Well, here she is. She can't remember what I told her two minutes before. We have great conversations about where I went to college, and she'll be like, where did you go to school? And I'm like, Cal Lutheran University. She's like, really? That's awesome. We'll, we'll be talking a couple minutes later. She's like, where'd you go to school? I was like, Cal Lutheran. She's like, that's awesome. And I'm like, I know, isn't it? She's like, I went to Lutheran school as well, and we'll carry on conversation. And again, she's like, have you heard of Cal Lutheran? Because I'm from Southern California. I'm like, I went to Cal Lutheran. She's like, you did? And so we like replay this over and over for like 45 minutes and just to see her face light up. She can't remember. And it's precious because she knows the word. She can start quoting Romans 8 verbatim. She knows all the books of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. She goes, I used to say it all in one breath. I'm going to try to show you right now. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And she, she takes like three breaths now to get the whole thing. But without, I, I'm telling you, she doesn't skip a beat perfectly. She quotes scripture perfectly. She can't remember two minutes before, but she knows God's word. Stuck with her all these years. It's precious to see. So here she is getting ready to go meet the Lord and she knows his word. And so that's my heart for us. Know his word. Bank your life on his word. Meditate on his word. Everything in this life is pulling you away from his word. Sin's pulling you away from this, his word. Sin will either keep you from this book or this book will keep you from sin. It's our, it's our daily struggle of beating down our body, our flesh, driving a nail into our fleshly desires and saying, I'm going to meditate on your word. And hopefully more times than not, we have that desire to get into his word. But there's those days where you're like, I don't feel like it right now. I'm not, I'm just, I could do this or that. But we say, I need to discipline myself and get into your word. There is a discipline aspect of studying and memorizing his word. Okay, last text I want to turn to. The Preacher's Dilemma, 2 Timothy 3.16 and following. So this text has been on my heart for a couple weeks, and this 
I was meant I meant to preach just on this text only, and then I started digging in Jeremiah and how to include that. Second Timothy three sixteen to chapter four verse eight. All scripture you guys know these verses. All scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from truth and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is the last chapter of the last letter of the last days of the Apostle Paul's life. It's the last letter he wrote, last chapter, and how do we know that his life is coming to an end? He tells us in verses 6 and 7, the time of my departure has come. Verse 7, I've finished the course. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. This is it, Timothy. This is it, the last hurrah. He could have said a lot of things. What does he say to Timothy? What's his final exhortation? What does he spend the most time on here at the end of this letter? Preach the word. Not when you feel like it, Timothy. Not just when people are giving you praises and people are showing up. Preach the word in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and all instruction. This is your life, Timothy. This is your commission. I'm passing the baton, and this is who you are. This is, this is not an opinion. This is not something Paul's just his ministry philosophy, or this is something I think you should do. This is an apostle of God passing on to the next generation his commission. Preach the word. More pastors today, I believe, need to know this text. You look at mega churches in our land, you look at Christianity in America, is the word being preached from pulpits across our nation and in our world? You know, the, the Joel Osteens, he's just an easy target because you see his smile and he seems like a nice guy, right? But is he preaching the word? Not just the parts you want to and saying God loves you and have a nice day. Several of the patients I see, well, they listen to Joel Osteen and they'll mention a couple things. I'm like, okay, that's good but is he preaching on this and that? No. They're afraid to preach certain things because what will happen? People will be convicted. People will be offended. People will be reproved, rebuked, and exhorted. And we don't want to do that. Well, we don't have that option. God's word is God's word. It's inspired by him. And the commission for preachers is to preach the word, all of the word, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. The challenge is how to do that. Paul doesn't say reprove every message, reprove in this way. And so 
That's a struggle that I have. We talked about Jeremiah's struggle today. Talked about this pastor who struggled with, at first he, he wrote this prayer and then he changed it, praise God. And my struggle is to how, to how to preach all of God's word, how to be faithful to this and also say, I'm unworthy to even stand up here. I'm unworthy to even talk in front of you because I'm a sinner saved by grace and I know all my struggles and all the things that I go through and I'm beating down my body every day and I'm saying, come along with me. Do it too. And so I don't want to reprove unnecessarily or rebuke or exhort. When you look up those words, reprove, rebuke, exhort, reprove means to convict, to reprimand, to refute, to show one's fault. Rebuke means to admonish, to chide, to warn. Exhort means to implore, to urge, to make an appeal. Sometimes that word exhort can mean to comfort and encourage. Some translations have translated it that right there in the text. Instead of exhort, it's encourage. And so it can be either or, and translators go either way. It seems with the force of the text, exhort or warn seems to be more applicable, although preachers do both. And we do both because God's word does both. All scriptures inspired by God, verse 16. Reproof, correction, and training. So the reason... He, I believe he says reprove, rebuke, and exhort is because God's word reproves, rebukes, and exhorts. So if you're preaching all of God's word, that's going to be a facet of it. This word solemnly charge, just to make a few more comments before I close. It means to earnestly declare, chapter four, verse one, to testify. It's, it's two Greek words Paul has pulled together. It means, it's dia, first word, thoroughly, and martyromai witness. It's where we get the word martyr, martyromai. Okay? Paul's saying, I'm, I'm calling God in Christ Jesus as my witness. And his appearing, who is to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom. God and Jesus are my witness, Timothy, that I'm exhorting you to preach the word. Do you, do you feel the weight of this? Like the emphasis? And he says, and by the way, Jesus is the judge of the living and the dead. If you read the rest of Timothy, he says, Timothy, if we deny him, he'll deny us. Timothy, we need to endure. If we endure, we'll reign with him. He, he's, he's giving Timothy the big picture. Timothy, you're going to stand before God, and I'm, I'm about to stand before God, and he's going to give me that crown. And not just me, but he's going to give it to all those who have loved his appearing. So Timothy, love his appearing. Preach his word. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. And verse 5, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill it till the end. Complete it. Be faithful till the end, Timothy. And in there, he says, be sober, verse 5. Not just from drunkenness, but be sober from any ambition, any greed, any idolatry that will steer you down the wrong direction from holding to my commission to you. Preaching the word faithfully, being a faithful witness of Christ. And then in there, he has these important words in verse 5. Do the work of an evangelist. You see how it's just not, it's multifaceted. Preaching, exhorting, reproving, and being an evangelist. And sometimes as pastors, you can just be an evangelist. But what is an evangelist? It's reaching the lost. And so the pastor goes, okay, I'm, I'm trying to reach the lost and evangelize and preach the gospel, but I'm trying to be obedient to preach the text and preach the word. And I, I want to be faithful to reprove and rebuke and exhort. And I want to, 
And so this is a big calling. There's a lot to this. What is preaching the gospel? What is being an evangelist? What is Paul telling Timothy here? Preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I declare unto you the gospel by which you stand, by which you are saved if you hold fast to the faith that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose from the grave on the third day. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Preach that. Call people to repentance. Call people to turn to Jesus Christ and live. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As I like to say, get on the ark. The world's about to be flooded. Judgment is coming. God foreshadowed in the Old Testament judgment over and over again. The flood, Egypt being destroyed, 586 B.C., Jerusalem being destroyed, 70 A.D., Jerusalem being destroyed. And in each era, there's prophets, there's people preaching, there's people pointing God's people to the truth. And that's where we're at today at the end of the age, and we're saying judgment's coming again. God's foreshadowed it. And as Noah preached, get on the ark. He was a preacher of righteousness. We're told in Hebrews, only eight were saved. And today we're saying, get on the ark. Who's the ark? Jesus Christ. The flood's coming. Wrath is coming. Jesus is coming back. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The good news is you can be saved. You can be forgiven. You can be with Christ forever and be rescued from your sin from Satan, from guilt, from the power of the enemy in your life. The good news is that Jesus Christ loves you, and it's summed up almost best in John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's one of my go-tos with my patients. My hospice friends who say they don't believe or are don't really want to talk about the Lord. I say, have you heard the most famous Christian verse? Huh? John three sixteen. Have you heard it? And I say it. What do you think about that? And almost never they're mad at me or angry, and I use that as a springboard to try to talk about the Lord more. Here's the question as I get ready to close. I have a lot of scribble on here because I was trying to say what I want to say right. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. I've been told that, you know, I want to be careful because we have a small church. And so, and I've heard Pastor Joe say this as well. He's like, you know, I, if you think I'm looking at you and I'm saying something, it, I don't, I, I'm not like trying to rebuke you, you know? Like, say it's like, I'm like, you know, we need to turn from sin and we need to stop being angry. And I like look right over here and that person's like, oh, he knew I was angry this week and he's calling me out in front of everyone and now I'm mad about it. And it's like, it just so happened that my eyes went there right when I said that. But here's the thing, that, I think that's happened before and then in that moment I realized a person was struggling with something and I'm like, I can't take that moment back. I have a small church, just a couple people I'm looking at and I'm trying to be obedient to the scripture, but I don't want to unnecessarily offend or call people out, so Lord, help me in this. So that's, I'm just sharing my heart with you today, okay? These are things that go through my mind and sermons I want to preach in the middle of the week, and I'm just sharing them with you right now. So I want to be faithful to the Lord. That's my heart. I want to have a tear in my eye. I want to be tender-hearted. I want to be merciful, and I want to hold 
to the truth. I want to magnify Jesus Christ. I want to seek and save the lost. I want to preach the whole counsel of God's word until I go meet Jesus or until he comes before that. Amen.